About 35 of us headed down on Friday evening to Evangelism University. And we're thankful for our youth and the heart that they have uh, to not only go to this event, but to love this event. To love an event where the entire event is being challenged class after class after class how to better succeed in evangelism. And we love our young people. Uh, they are a blessing to the life of this congregation and so faithful and so active. And uh, we love their energy and their passion. And we're thankful for Philip Jenkins and, and for Laura and the work that they do in, uh, in helping our youth. And we also should mention that Philip was actually chairman of the board of Evangelism University. And it's, it's huge. It's like almost 1,400 kids uh, that are being hosted for an entire weekend. And uh, it truly, truly was a great success. Are we a disciple-making church? We don't want to be just an ABC church. Let's talk about attendance. Let's talk about buildings. Let's talk about contribution. There's so much more to our Christian walk than just simple numbers to evaluate. It's about whether or not we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, whether or not we're following Him, Jesus, and His teaching. Are we disciples of Jesus? Now, as we think about that individually, we also want throughout this series to continually think about it from the standpoint of a congregation. If someone comes and they worship and work and serve with us as a congregation for a year, for five years, for 10 years, the question is, will we help them become religious people, period? Or will we help them grow as disciples of Jesus Christ? We've been asking from Glenn McDonald's book, Six Questions. We've asked, if we're going to be a disciple-making church, we've got to answer the question, who is our Lord? Who are we? And this morning we looked at the question of who is your Barnabas? We need others lifting us up. Solo flights, as we mentioned this morning, are not praised in the scriptures. What's praised in the scriptures is when individuals realize that we've been baptized into Christ and Christ has a body and it's God's family. We are baptized into a family. We are saved to walk together. We are saved to serve each other. We're saved to pull each other up. We're saved to walk through valleys together, to climb mountains together. We're saved to live on this life for together for a lifetime and with the Lord together for an eternity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you kind of have an island concept of Christianity, can I bluntly say this? Do you believe that you have it all wrong? Because you do. There is no such factor taught in the Word of God that I tell you what, I'll be baptized and I'll read my Bible and I'll go to church and I'll slip in and I'll slip out and, and everything's well. Who have you helped? Who have you helped grow into a greater disciple? That's our question tonight. Who is your Timothy? Barnabas helped Paul tremendously. We studied that entirely this morning. But isn't it awesome that Paul didn't allow it to stop there? He turned around and helped so many, but one that immediately comes to our mind, and it's easy to see so much about in the Scriptures, the book of Acts, First and Second Timothy. He lifted Timothy up. Who 
is your Timothy. And if you don't have a Timothy, are you really a disciple? Let's think about that tonight. There's a couple questions I'd like for you to think about as we kind of start introducing this and, and mulling this around our mind. The first question or the first statement is we are blessed. And the second is we are to be a blessing. You got those in your mind? We are blessed and we are to be a blessing. The cynical person would look at those two statements and say, nah, neither one of them's true. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really blessed. At, I mean, is there really a God? No, there's not a God. Or if it is, he's not involved in my life. Whatever I have, I've worked. I've got it by the own sweat of my brow, my own fingers. I, I, I know. I'm not blessed if you're saying it came from God. And am I to be a blessing to others? Hey, they can go out and they can get it the same way I got it. We got to take care of ourselves. I'm not taking care of everybody else. The idealist would say, you know, the first one's not right, but I believe the second one is. I don't really know if there's a God or if He is. I don't know how He's involved in my life, but I know this. We can accomplish anything. It's kind of like that self-confidence thing. It's kind of like, hey, if we just believe, we can achieve. And so whatever our community's going through, I tell you what let's do. Let's call a community meeting and, and let's rally the troops and, and we can accomplish it. Whatever our school's going through, let's just call the troops together and we can accomplish it. I'm an idealist. I believe that everything can be better, but I don't really believe God's involved in it. Now, isn't that scary how much that sounds like our language sometimes? We talk about this self-confidence and we talk about what we can do when we pull together and when we leave God out of that, think how foolish that is. It's hard to take some of our lingo and tie it into Philippians 3 where Paul talked about self-confidence and he says, if you want to boast in the flesh, he says, I'm not boasting in the flesh. He taught that he found all of his confidence through the Lord. The idealist doesn't find any confidence in the Lord. They just think they'll get it done some way. Now, if I could give a judgmental statement for just a moment, just to make a point, and if you disagree with this, I'm fine with that. I'm just trying to make a point here for us to have a better understanding. Could we say the average religious person in America today, their approach would be that number one is right, but number two is not correct. In other words, you hear them talk, and they will frequently talk about how God has been a blessing in their life. You know, the, you'll hear things like when, when you walk in your home and say, oh, your, your house is so beautiful. God has been so good to us. You wouldn't believe the little bitty house me and my spouse started out with 20 years ago. We never dreamed we'd have something like this. God has been so good to us. Oh, yes, yes. I tell you what, I'm, I'm blessed with good health. God has been so good to me. And just on and on, everything's about God has been so good. Have you been a blessing to anyone else? Well, I, I mean, I, I, well, I don't really think about that a lot. I mean, you know, maybe to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you imagine someone touring a factory and they see where the product or where the, the sources or resources brought in and then you, you see how it's made into a product and you see how it's packaged and then as you're about to leave, you turn to the person that's giving you this tour and you, this is an amazing factory. I, I, I never dreamt that it would be uh, so sophisticated and accomplish so much. This is amazing. And then you turn and say, by the way, you didn't show me the shipping department. Could you show me the shipping department? This is, we, don't, we don't have a shipping department. Well, how do you get your product out? Oh, we don't make it to get it out. Everything we do is just for us. It's just for us. 
friends, is that our concept? What God gives me, it's for the Shannon family. Everything. It's like I've got this big funnel and I'm catching all the blessings from God, but I'm making sure that spout's going right back to my family. Or, or it's just for the Mount Juliet family. How do you see your responsibility toward life? Wouldn't a disciple of Jesus Christ recognize that both of these statements must be true? That yes, every good gift is from God. And He has been so good to us. And He gives us those gifts with the expectation that as disciples, we will do as Jesus has taught us to do. And we will make sure that we are funneling those blessings in God's glory to so many people and to everybody that we can. I think the problem that a disciple would have is not, do I have a Timothy I'm trying to help up? I believe a true disciple would be saying, there are so many Timothys that I'm trying to help up, I feel a little bit overwhelmed sometimes. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis, the 12th chapter. Genesis, the 12th chapter. We have what one has said, and, and I'm just throwing this out to just kind of turn your mind. I'm not saying I would agree wholeheartedly with this, but it's just a neat little statement. One, one fellow said, you could read Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, and the rest of the Bible is a commentary about it. That is interesting, because in this, we do get a beautiful view of how Jesus was being brought to this earth through Abraham and how it was going to change mankind. Let's read this. We're in Genesis 12. We're in verse 1, 2, and 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country. Now by the way, I, I'm thinking you're with me, but maybe I assume, so let me state this. I want you to think about those two statements as we read this. Think about, was Abraham blessed and was he expected to be a blessing to others? And let's, let's look at this. 12th chapter, verse 1, Genesis. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. In other words, there's a land I'm going to give you. Sounds like a pretty big blessing, doesn't it? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, here it goes, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says, Abraham, get ready. I'm about to put a heavy load on you because I'm going to give you a lot of blessings. And with these blessings are going to come great responsibility. I'm going to ask you to trust me. I want you to take a trip, and I'm not going to tell you exactly where you're going, but when you get there, I have land that is going to be yours. And I know right now you and your wife are barren, but I'm going to give you a nation, not just a son. I'm going to give you a nation of people. And this isn't going to be just a small, struggling nation. I'm going to make it a nation of great blessing. But Abram, from your family is supposed to flow great blessings that will be a blessing to all of the earth. 
And we know that it was through His lineage that Jesus Christ was born, that He truly was a blessing to all the earth. Paul received blessings from God and from Barnabas, and he turned around and he shared those blessings with perhaps countless of folks. But one of those men, in Acts the 14th chapter, was when he met a man, or Acts the 16th chapter, when he met a man named Timothy. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy, the second chapter, and the second verse. And let's spend just a few moments here tonight and, and let's look and consider <clears throat> Paul's Timothy, the one that he was lifting up. And what did he do and, and what can we learn about it so that as we strive and have a desire to help others grow closer, to be a greater disciple, what is it that we could learn from Paul to be able to do it even more effectively. By the way, you know, one plus one is two, and that's what we're to be about is adding. And so you got Paul encouraging Timothy. One plus one is two. Second Timothy, the second chapter, the second verse. You can always remember, where's that verse in the Bible that tells us that we're to be helping other people? Two, two, two. Second Timothy two and two. Let's read it. And the things that you have heard from me, so the things that you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Notice the, the pronouns here refer to a relationship, the way they're used in this context and the way we simply know the relationship that Paul and Timothy had. He talked about me and he talked about you and he talked about what he had shared with them. And so when we think about the fact that we want to make a difference in someone's life, we think about the reality that there has to be a relationship involved. Listen, you may teach a Bible class. And so as you hear this lesson, and especially from this morning's also, if you hear this lesson and your mindset is, I want to go into my Bible class and I want to be a mentor to all 30 people in that Bible class, that's probably not going to happen. There's not enough of you to go around to mentor to 30 people. Who is it that you can form a relationship with? That you can be involved in their life and you can know them. And because of your relationship with them, you can help them become more of what they ought to be. Usually, it's an older person that is the Paul reaching down to a younger person that's the Timothy. Look back, if you will, to Philippians. You know, Paul makes mention of Timothy in the book of Philippians, and it's just touching. It's beautiful. In Philippians, the second chapter, it's 1043 on the Bible that's in your pew there, 1043. Notice in, in Philippians, the second chapter, Paul says in 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for you your state. 
for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. What a compliment. Paul says, I'm not going to be able to come right now, but I want to be able to send Timothy. And let me tell you why I'm sending Timothy in my place. I don't have anybody that thinks like I think and has a heart that cares for you people of Philippi the way I care for them, except Timothy. Our relationship, he says, is like a father and a son. That's relationship. That's close. Like I could tell you that my father and I, if we were going out on the farm, we would have a very similar, if not the very same approach to the way we were going to do something on the farm. Now obviously you would say, I don't have to guess. I know why it's that way. Why? Because he's my father and I'm the son. And in that relationship, in that relationship, we have worked together and I have learned his ways. Do you see the relationship that's been built here? Paul went out when Timothy was a very, very young man passing through his town of Lystra and, and others recommended and said, that young man's amazing. Paul goes over to him and now think about that mentor reaching down. Paul goes over to him and says, join me on this mission trip. Who would do that? That's going to be so annoying. You got an experienced missionary and he's asking a young man with no experience. Don't you know a lot of people would say, Paul, what are you thinking? He's going to slow you down. He's going to get in your way. He's going to get on your nerves. He's going to ask question after question. Paul was in the business of discipling, of growing others. And now years have passed and we see how Timothy has developed. He has a heart and a mind like Paul. This morning we talked about the fact that when a generation expires from the church, the next generation should not have to start at the ground. The next generation ought to be able to stand on the shoulders of the previous generation and have that much head start because this generation has bowed down and served. Now you realize the Bible stops at the point where we would ask this question and say, I wonder, I wonder really what kind of missionary Timothy ended up being, having the head start that he had, being called as a young man and being mentored by one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived. Can you imagine the head start that he had in kingdom work? Not only do we see that it's about relationship, but we also see that it's very personal. In other words, this relationship had gotten to the point that you could tell that they could be very open and honest with each other. Go back to that text there. I'd like for you to see there in, in 2 Timothy, I'd like for you to see in the first chapter, notice how straightforward, how personal he could talk with Timothy. We're in, in 2 Timothy, the first chapter, verse 3. I'd like to scan some verses with you, beginning in, in verse 3. It's page 1056 in the Bible. It's in your pew. And he says in verse 3 that he thanks God for Timothy. And 
and he remembers him in his prayers night and day at the end of three. And then in verse four, he's talking about how he just, he greatly desires to see him. And then Paul says, I'm aware of the tears that you've been shedding. How many times you see men sit around and talk about each other crying? How close were they? Let's read on. Look in five. He's going to give him a reminder of the success that he knows that he has in his life. He knows that Timothy within him has great faith. Now, he may be reminding him of this because what we're about to read, it seems to be implied that Timothy was starting to maybe back up a little bit. I hate to say losing faith. That, that sounds strong. I don't know that's too strong. But there's something where Paul has a close enough relationship with him that he's able in, in a very loving way to call him out and say, son, I think it's time you step it up a little bit. And so there in five, he reminds him of the faith that he knew came from his grandmother and his mother. And he knows, he's persuaded it's in him also. And then look at six. Here's where the rebuke starts. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, if, if Timothy would have been on fire right now, do you think he would have said, I want to remind you to stir up the gift? He would have commended him for being on fire. Instead, there's something wrong. There's something amiss. But you see, the relationship is so personal that he's able to say it because he's put time previously in that relationship. Now notice seven, we see that it's probably linked to fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And then when we read the following verse, we get an idea of maybe where this fear was coming from. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Now it starts to make sense. Do you see this? He is rebuking him and he's saying to him, stop being ashamed of me. You're not taking a stand the way you should because you're afraid right now because you know what I'm suffering and you're afraid you may suffer it. Listen here, son. God didn't give you that spirit of fear. He gave you the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Now get up and fan that flame and put that gift into action. I know your faith. I know your grandmother. I know your mother and I'm persuaded it's in you also. I know the tears you've been crying and I'm sad for you and I'm praying for you night and day. Now you tell me, who can say that? Who can say that effectively? Listen, I don't want a stranger coming and talking to me like that. I may need it, but I'm not going to respond very well if it's a stranger. But if it's somebody that has invested their life in me and they've built a relationship with me, they then have the right to talk in a personal way like that with me. Everybody in the Lord's church ought to have multiple people that can and will talk that way to each other because we love each other. And somebody said, I can't imagine a congregation like that. Are we the Lord's church if we can't? Are we disciples if we can't? Are we missing some very, very important aspects of Christianity and of the Lord's church and of discipleship. 
as we close tonight, I just want you to see that addition factor. It's really multiplication. Look there again at 2 Timothy 2 and 2, and I want you to count the generations here. He tells him in verse 2 that you have heard from me, count the generations, you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these two faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What's God's plan of discipleship? Paul says, Timothy, you know what I've committed to you. You know what I've given you. If you receive that blessing and it stops there, you have failed to be a blessing to the next generation. Now you turn and you be a blessing to them just as I have been a blessing to you. And when you do so, you make sure that they know they have to finish the cycle. That they too have to find faithful men that they can share the blessing with also. Four generations, and you put the lesson this morning with it, we see five generations. Barnabas was a blessing to Saul, who was a blessing to Timothy, who he told you now go out and bless other faithful individuals and tell them they have to also be a blessing to other people. If I understand discipleship right, if I'm not a blessing, if I'm not looking at who I can share to lift up, I'm missing the mark. I'm missing the mark completely. No one invisible. No one walk alone. We're in this together. And let's love each other enough to get involved in each other's lives. And let's love each other enough to encourage each other, to challenge each other, and even to rebuke each other. And when the day is done, let's give God all the glory. Tonight, are you a disciple? There's no family that you could be a part of like the Lord's family. The blessings are deep. They're rich. They're real. They're eternal. And if you're not baptized into Christ, we'd urge you to do that tonight. As, as people surrounding you, we would like to be a type of, of Barnabas or a type of Paul that would just help you along the way. If you've become a Christian and along the way you've lost the way, we would love to encourage you to come back. We all know it's the Lord's invitation you're responding to. But as brothers and sisters of Christ, we want to encourage each other and we want to help each other. Tonight, is there anything that we can do to help you take one step closer to God?